Welcome to the Trail Less Traveled. Missoula is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can subscribe to the podcast and read more about this week's show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon whitewater guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We're recording the trail less traveled on location on the coast of eastern Australia. We're sitting in a beautiful forest of eucalyptus. You can hear the sound of the insects and the birds around us. The ocean is not that far away. And I'm sitting here with Jandamata Chad. Jandamata is a Yorta Yorta Dajarurung descendant. He's a portraiture artist who has been a finalist in every major portrait art prize in Australia and is also in very high demand as an inspirational speaker and ambassador. It's just an honor to be sitting with you here in the bush today, Jandamata, so thank you, first of all, for making the time to join me on the Trail Less Traveled. Thank you. Honored to be here. Honored to share. My first question for you is, where did you grow up? Can you tell us about your childhood and eventually the introduction to the paintbrush? I grew up in Brisbane, which is... We're living on the Sunshine Coast, which is on the east coast of Australia. I grew up in Brisbane, which is a little bit further south and a little bit further inland. As a boy, I used to visit this place here quite regularly. I grew up in a mixed-race family, so my mother was Aboriginal, my father was Scottish and Swedish. For me, growing up, I experienced a lot of situations which took me into a reflection of the way that those two cultures were in such conflict and still are to varying degrees today. In that I experienced a lot of frustration growing up, a lot of bullying in school, a lot of situations where I saw the dichotomy of those two worlds and the inequality that came from that. Because of walking in those two worlds, I struggled to reconcile those two one was very much about connection. The other one was very much about control and obtaining and having. The other one was about listening and being at one connection. Those two worlds for me were so far apart. I got a lot of frustration, a lot of anger and felt so much at times that I experienced a lot of violence in my younger days. In that, I ended up due to sexual abuse and certain other factors like that frustration I ended up running away and living on the streets from for a four year period I lived on the streets you know, continually uh, living out of drain pipes living under railway platforms eating out of rubbish bins after a while I learnt that I had to steal to survive because I went too hungry for a while there met up with a lot of other blackfellas on the streets and we learned to survive and we were a brotherhood at that time. But because of that, that landed me in juvenile institutions. And in there was a whole different way of survival, you know. Obviously, you weren't to show emotion. Obviously, you had to get tough very quick to survive and live. You know, some of those children were in there for murder and raping and seriously violent crimes. Mine was just of stealing. In some of those institutions, you know, was a lot of abuse from the staff, a lot of abuse from the people who looked after and ran those places, uh, sexually, emotionally, physically and mentally. The last place I was in was just outside of Toowoomba, Westbrook. 
this place had been shut down four years after I had finished my last serving there because of the rampant abuse. They had an inquiry that showed that at the time there was children that had died, beaten, raped, all sorts of things. So anyway, for me to be introduced to a paintbrush was within that institution. Me and four of the Aboriginal inmates on my last time there decided we'd had enough of the abuse and we thought we'd break out of there. One night we broke out, took off. We were recaptured three days later and put in what was known as the pound. And the pound was, they had their day cells and their night cells. And the pound day cells were just four brick walls, no bed, no toilet, a bucket to defecate and urinate in. Because we had escaped and the embarrassment that had happened, they locked us in there for weeks and left us on half ration of food, T-shirt and shorts in the middle of winter, cold weather. But, you know, in that it wasn't just the subjection to that, it was the isolation of being locked in there, not being able to talk to anyone, not being able to connect. For me, I've always had a strong affinity with Mother Nature. I've always had a strong affinity to be able to connect with country, connect with the land, to be locked away and isolated from that. And then at night have staff come in and give you regular beatings. I remember one night they came in and I remember being hit so much I was blood was running down my lips, down my body. And I remember falling down and laying in my own feces, my vomit, my urine and also blood. Realising at that time if I had a rope I would have taken my life. It was just like, what more can humanity give, you know? For me, I grew up as being an Aboriginal person, realising that, you know, feeling like I was a stain on society. I was very much part of a race of people that have been seen as an inconvenience, seen as a, a race of backward savages that have been rolling around the dirt waiting to be saved from their backward ways which was the furthest thing from the truth. But at that time, I felt like letting my life go. So a little while later, I was released from there and I kind of stopped talking and stopped communicating. And they got a counsellor in to come and talk to some of us fellas. And this counsellor introduced me to a paintbrush, which kind of helped to turn my life around. For me, without a doubt, I know that I would have ended up either in the street dead or in jail for the rest of my life because of the way I was spiralling out of control due to that I don't give a f- I'm tired of feeling like I'm not part of this society or this system that I was, you know, never accepted. So that paintbrush helped me to articulate, helped me to understand and I feel through that paintbrush the ancestors would speak through me and allow me to feel like I was perfect. I was okay and I was a perfect part of the whole human condition and over time I've grown with my art and it's helped to nurture me and develop me spiritually, emotionally, mentally and physically to be the person I am today. So that was my introduction to a paintbrush. That is the voice of Jenda Mata Chad. We are recording the trail less travelled in the bush on the eastern coast of Australia and I'm sitting here with Jenda Mata Chad. Jenda Mata is a Yorta Yorta Dajarurung descendant Jindamata is a portraiture artist who has been a finalist in every major portrait art prize in Australia and is also in very high demand as an inspirational speaker and ambassador. Jindamata, now I'd like to talk to you about your ancestors. My ancestors, my mother's people come from Victoria, which is the lower eastern south end of Australia. 
And in there, up towards the Murray River, is Yorta Yorta country, and out near Bendigo, which is, is my grandfather's country. The Yorta Yorta is my grandmother's country. My ancestors here have been walking this country, this land, for over 2,000 generations. Their connection wasn't one that could be understood in the mind of conceptual understanding. If you look at a fish with water, in concepts you could go, that fish is separate from water. But as soon as you try to separate that fish from water, that fish will wither, it will start to get separation anxiety, eventually it will get mental illness, it will get sick and it will die. For Aboriginal people, they understood that the country was not part of their identity, it was who they are. The dances, the storytelling, the ceremonies that all celebrated this connection to country, connection to the animals, connection to the elements. If you think of a bird in a tree standing up there mortgaging its nest, I'd bid 200 sticks, 300 sticks, the highest bidder, come on, who, who, who wants it? We'd go, that's crazy. Humans these days have accepted to believe that they own something, that they can sell or have or attain Whereas for Aboriginal people, as custodians, we understand we belong to, we belong to that star. We belong to all those stars. We belong to that tree. We belong to that ground. We belong to that dirt. So we don't want to dig up that dirt. We don't want to cut down all those trees. We don't want to destroy that sky because that is who we are. The further we move away from that, we have what is called Ramarama which is sickness of the spirit. It's a separation from who we are and we believe that we are that. Whereas when we create that belief, we see that as the original sin because once you believe that, your life will start to revolve around separateness, which is the illusion that you are not that anymore. So for my ancestors, in living in intimate connection with these things for thousands of generations there came a great responsibility, a great responsibility to look after it, a great responsibility to protect, a great responsibility to see, not only for the past thousands of generations behind, or one or two ahead, but the thousand generations ahead. So when they look at a tree and there's fruit on that tree, they don't take all that fruit. They go, some of those seeds got to drop for that tree to then grow more trees. Some of those seeds and those fruits got to be left for those animals because if those animals die, then those other ones don't get fed. Those other ones don't get fed, we don't get fed. We're all part of this web of connection and understanding. This intimate knowledge, when uh, European people came here 238 years ago to these shores, and I don't mean it like the colour of skin, but that mentality that came with white people was a mentality that to have connection with something was erroneous, it was irrelevant, it was something that was seen as weak and dispensable. And for Aboriginal people sitting there on the land, connecting with these plants, these trees, these elements, understanding that when that flower's in bloom, that there are fish ready to hunt, and you don't need to go and hunt them, you can pull them out of the river ready to know that when that silky oak is flowering in this country that gubby gubby carby carby people share that you can go down and the eels are ready they're ready and fat and juicy ready to eat but european people saw that 
as a backward way. So for them, they started to uh, massacre and murder and destroy our people because they wanted to bring in their sheep, they wanted to bring in their ways and have that here at that time. It changed a lot of the demographic, it changed a lot of the dynamic, it changed a lot of the natural atmosphere of this country to where then Aboriginal people couldn't go back to their natural ways, which is today. So from my ancestors, you've still got our descendants here today living, living this land, walking this land, but almost stuck between two worlds because we don't want... We are forced to try and accept and live in this modern-day contemporary lifestyle and navigate this Western format, but also keeping our connection to country and our life alive because we understand we are this and we can't sever that. The more we try to sever that, the more we will get sick, the more we will succumb to, I suppose, our own demise. Yeah. That is the voice of Jandamata Chad, and you are on the trail as traveled, being recorded this afternoon in the shade on the eastern coast of Australia, in the bush. And when we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about his art and his culture here in Australia. But Jandamata, now it's time for a song. Is there a song that you can share with us that reminds you of your early childhood? Yes, there's a song by Dr. G. And I can't mention his name because he is a past... But Dr. G is a beautiful musician here, and the song is Bapa.
We return to the trail less traveled on the trail 1033. This afternoon, the trail less traveled is being recorded in the forest on the eastern coast of Australia. If you're looking at a map of Australia, we're about 150-odd kilometers north of Brisbane on the Sunshine Coast. We are in a beautiful forest right now, found some shade. It is a very hot day in Australia, but it's nice and cool where we sit now. You can hear the sound of the birds and the insects around us. And I'm sitting here with Jandamata Chad. He's a portraiture artist and is also in high demand as an inspirational speaker and ambassador. He spends a lot of time talking to young people in detention centers. So Jandamata, I was hoping that you could speak to the listener and perhaps they're going through some hard times right now with identity or where they come from or whatever it is. And I was hoping that you could inspire them, enlighten them in the same way that you do when you spend your time in detention centers speaking with young people, that you can overcome what you're going through right now, whatever that is. I think in society we are taught we have to overcome, but I think in more sense we have to accept. We have to accept that we, as individuals, are so unique and so perfectly designed that we can't be conformed into a model that encapsulates many people putting that simply means that our fingerprint and who we are is the most perfect thing that has ever been and ever will be in all of existence no other human being will ever be as perfect as we are but the thing is we can't compare this is what this system and society that we live in compares and that's the damaging thing because if you walk into a forest You hear the kookaburra. In this Australian forest, you'll hear a kookaburra. You'll hear a butcher bird. You'll hear the lyre bird. You'll hear a variety of birds. How can you say that that one's wrong and that one's right? Oh, they all should sound like the kookaburra. Every bird is perfect in its colour, in its sound, in the way that it flies. The thing is, again, coming back to that Our society wants us to be a certain shape or size or way that is very destructive, you know, which means from anything, being a woman, being from the LGBT community, being Aboriginal, being of dark skin or other than white, these things leave you feeling like you're inadequate or something's broken or something is wrong. But the thing is, the way that we are made the way that you are made is absolutely perfect so we don't need to overcome something what we need to realize is that the perfection of who we are is what we are and the song that we sing in ourselves in whatever way we express that is the most perfect thing and we need to focus on that as opposed to fitting into a system that wants us to become a model citizen or a model person that they wish I struggled in my younger years with suicide. I struggled to fit into the mould. When I say it was a struggle, the struggle was that I was trying to become white. I remember in grade two coming home and putting paint thinner in the bath, uh, turpentine, putting detergent, getting all sorts of different products and scrubbing the skin off my arms because I'm a brown person scrubbing the skin off my arms because I was told I was dirty and I thought if I scrub that skin off my arms I'm going to be happy 
I'm going to be able to smile and walk around because I'll have this white skin underneath. What I didn't realize that that was who I was. And a deep sadness came over me when I realized this ain't coming off. This ain't going anywhere. But over the years, I realized that who I am and where I came from was the most beautiful thing in my life that gave me a sense of gratitude and a sense of power and a sense of empowerment being able to live from the authenticity of who I am of course in that we can feel isolated and there we find other people who support us rather than cut us down or take away from who we are but when I go and talk to the young people in detention centers a lot of them are feeling quite hurt and destroyed because they don't feel like they belong they don't feel like they are accepted they don't feel like they are loved for who they are I mean, every human being wishes on some fundamental level to be accepted and loved. We need to work on changing the demographic of society from all being accepted into this one mould to all of us being accepted, like the forest and the birds, for the diversity of who we are. And when we live our truth, we empower others to live their truth. When we stand up and say, I love who I am, and it doesn't matter what you all think, then we empower others to do the same. And that rippling effect changes a whole society. It is not governments who change it. It is the grassroots people. You know, look at the power of music. Look at the power of storytelling. Look at the power of dance. Look at how powerful those modalities, when they can move people and shift a collective amount of people to come together. And what we need to do is support each other in coming together. I'm just about to start a new series which is about celebrating the feminine. And two weeks ago I had a beautiful photo shoot. I hired a female photographer to go in with nine of my beautiful female friends that I've known for over 10 years. And they went off into the forest, into the water, and they had no clothes on. They took off all their jewelry, all their clothes, and they all stood together in different poses and these body types my wife is quite voluptuous another friend of mine is quite thin they had all these different things and anxieties coming up about this photo shoot but they all accepted to do it the anxieties come from a system of judgment that they aren't beautiful unless they look like this or act like this or you know cut this tuck that dye this once they finish that photo shoot each of them expressed to each other and to myself that they felt so liberated and so open and alive because they were accepted, because they felt beautiful in their own bodies. This series is about celebrating the feminine as a whole, but this specific paintings of these sisters, naked, and their beauty of each of their bodies as perfect as they were designed, is to show a visual narrative to show that we need to accept each other rather than judge each other and compete and compare, which is what the system wants us to do because ultimately if they do that, they make money from us. We buy their products, we buy their services to, you know, lose this weight or take this away or cut this off. And Anyway, what it comes back to is we need to love ourselves and accept and see that we are perfect Once we start to do that, things do start to magically unfold in our lives because it's a subtle shift that realizes that we don't need to fit into the world. The world needs to see the beauty of who we are, not 
because we are that. You're on the trail less travelled, being recorded in the bush on the coast of eastern Australia, and I'm speaking with Jen Damata Chad. Jen Damata is a portraiture artist based here on the Sunshine Coast. Jen Damata, I'd like to talk to you now about strength through culture and the fact that we are all custodians of this land. I'm a river guide, and one of my intentions when I'm guiding, be it on the Grand Canyon or up in Montana, is to empower all of my guests that we are all stewards of the land, the sea, the sky. Yes, absolutely. That word custodian, I don't resonate with the word owner because I don't believe anyone owns anything. How do you own a star? How do you own a tree? Everything is free. Everything is free to express and be as it should be. As a custodian, there comes responsibility There are traditional custodians of all countries and all lands. These traditional custodians hold cellular, mental, emotional and intergenerational memories of intimate connections with a place that has been going on for thousands of generations. When new custodians or people come to this country, yes, we are all part of this, but there is a need to be... a natural proper way of learning and understanding from original custodians to truly walk in a place and understand the responsibility that comes with that. Like for here, for instance, Gubby Gubby Kabi Kabi people talk about this leader fish. At a certain time of year, there is a flower or a certain happening in nature that shares that there is a leader fish that is guiding the young ones back to these safe grounds so that they can grow bigger and are able to continue on and have babies and continue the cycle. People go fishing at a certain time of year and catch these massive giant leader fish and they think, wow, look what I've got. I've conquered, I've obtained this big fish. And they might feed their family or whatever they do with it. What they don't understand is that those leader fish taken won't be able to guide those young ones back to those grounds. They'll be breaking million year cycles. And by doing that, they are destroying a whole ecosystem. So that's with responsibility of understanding when to fish, understanding when to go down and collect those mud crabs, when to go out and hunt, when to walk in a certain place, understanding men's business, women's business, ceremony. Some places aren't go for men. Men go there. It not only means their physical health or well-being is threatened, It means that they've disrupted a sacred space which is intended for only women to be, women to walk, women to see. These understandings relate to all of us, no matter what colour, what race, whatever it be. Same as if you go over to Europe. Those traditional custodians there, their family's been living certain places for thousands. If I go over there, I will be asking them, what place should I go or not go? Is this okay to travel here? I'd prefer to travel with someone from there to guide me or get an understanding of something below the surface. Because not only is it in the tangible relationship between that person and a plant, there's been a whole language that has been opened up. And that language is an invitation for all of us if we sit and listen. But sitting especially as we know in our culture, sitting with our elders and listening to those stories. The words contain so much, but the spaces between those words hold volumes of information that feed our spirit, that feed our 
our sense of connection to a place rather than we're just walking through a forest oh there's those trees yeah but if you understand about what that tree means and why that tree is there and why it flowers at this time it gives a whole language and that language speaks to our spirit because we are one with that land now that we we walk upon Jandamara for the indigenous Aboriginal Australian peoples which are diverse spread throughout all of Australia and speaking different dialects and having different approaches to art which we're going to talk about in a moment and also music and, and storytelling from my understanding for all the tribes in Australia there is the importance of spending time with the elders and skipping a generation so for you spending time with your grandfather to learn for him to pass down the knowledge can you tell us a little bit more about that obviously spending time with any elders of any culture there's a wisdom and a life experience I mean yes when we have elders they are different than just older people when we say an elder there is a general respect for our elders but also a true elder is one that holds the wisdom of those connections the connections to country connection to land whether it be through the songs whether it be through the dances whether it be through language my grandfathers were taken from me at a very early age I didn't get that time to sit with them I couldn't learn too much from my grandmother because it's a lot of women's business and it, the, I've gathered a lot sitting with other elders of different countries uh, Uncle Bob Randall different ones, especially Uncle Bob Randall from the Mitajula community out at Uluru who has now passed away but sitting with those elders what they've had passed down to them from their elders is something that's been a, a verbal passing and today I understand they're using, which is amazing in some ways, they're using technology to record these because they can't translate in books. You can't, you can't read this wisdom. You can read those words and it's like a finger pointing to the moon. The finger is not the moon. But when you sit in the presence of somebody who has lived with this experience, who knows this truth, truth being the universal thing that governs us all, again coming back to those spaces between the words the body language everything that's happening into play there's a whole language going on beneath that I don't know if you ever feel it or any of you listeners ever feel it but when you're talking to someone and they're talking with their words and they're saying all these beautiful words but part of your intuition is like it don't make sense I don't I don't feel that when you sit with elders that intuition is hooked up with their wisdom and What's happening is you're being filled with this knowledge and wisdom yourself, which is enriches your spirit. So for me, the value of our elders, it isn't just a, a token, these are older people, we better listen to them. What they're doing is imbuing us with a sense of strength, a sense of connection to country, a, a sense of connection to what it is to be a custodian, a sense of connection to our own true selves. Aboriginal people have the highest rate of suicide in the world, especially our young people, per capita. Which means so many of them are taking their lives because of this disconnection. They don't know what they're doing. They're wandering around in this Western format, trying to make sense of it. But they're cellularly, that deep nurturing that comes from sitting and learning, being a custodian, connection to their country, connection to their spirit through that. 
is being withered away. A lot of our elders are being taken from us, but they're still there. But what's happening is this big, beautiful resurgence. Because for a lot of years, we weren't allowed to talk our language. We weren't allowed to share our songs. We weren't allowed to teach our customs. We weren't allowed to have ceremony. We were beaten or killed, murdered if we did this. There were serious repercussions. We were rounded up and displaced off of our traditional lands and put onto missions. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, you know, great-great, were all displaced and put on missions, like so many up here. Up here we've got Schoberg Mission. Mine were put on Kamraganja and Lake Tyres Mission. This was a place where they couldn't leave without permission, written permission. They were not allowed to speak their language, not allowed to use their dances. So they were being assimilated into this Western way. You imagine that. You imagine, your listeners, if you went home tonight and somebody said to you, somebody killed your father, raped your mother. Your mother was Aboriginal, you know, for me, Aboriginal, dark skin. They had brown skin babies, so they took away these children took away the children and said to you had to live in the shed in the back and you can't leave there unless you get written permission from us you can't ever talk your language you can't ever sing your songs you can't ever wear those clothes that you wear anymore we're going to tell you this whole new way and in a couple of generations we're going to tell you come on what's your problem get on with it move on Uh, something very seriously that affects us mob here is intergenerational trauma. And we live in a mainstream society that says that we should move on, get on, and assimilate into this Western way. And a lot of us are struggling with that because we can't just let go of who we are. Who we are as an identity is hooked up with those conversations with those elders, hooked up with those dances, those songs, that language, that ceremony. When we are told to get on and move on, and forego our ways we are told that we have to sever our own selves in the process to move on and it becomes too much of a difficult process that is the voice of Jandamata Chad he is a portraiture artist based here on the Sunshine Coast of Australia when we come back we're going to learn more about his process and some of the history of the Indigenous Aboriginal Australian art across Australia Jandamata it's now time for another song beautiful. The next song is Uncle Archie Roach took the children away. This song Uncle Archie wrote he was three years old when he was taken away and stolen from his mother he was walking down the street one day in his story and I'm only reiterating and his uncle Banjo you know said to him why don't you write a song about that experience and Uncle Archie said I don't remember that experience. He said yeah but many of us do. You write that song because many of us know and we remember and we know that experience and Uncle Archie put this song together I painted Uncle Archie in 2014 and have had a connection and friendship with him since Uncle Archie Roach is a famous Aboriginal singer here and his song Took the Children Away is about the children of generation being taken away from their parents because they were brown skinned babies that were often due to uh, Aboriginal women being raped by white men and then these brown skinned babies taken away, stolen off of their mothers and put in mission schools to learn to be assimilated into a Western, Western education, Western way. 
this story's right, this story's true I would not tell lies to you like the promises I did not keep And how they fenced us in like sheep Said to us, come take our hand Set us up on mission land day Taught us to read, write and pray Then they took the children away Took the children away The children away Snatched from their mother's breast Said this is for the best Took them away Thank you. 
say Told us all Be the white man's razor bar In this bitter supper game Gave us gifts Harder with the pain Sent us all To the foster home And as we grew up All we fell along Cause we were One sweet day, all the children came back The children came back Yeah, yeah, the children came back Back where their hearts go strong Back where they all belong The children came back Yeah, the children came The Trail Less Traveled with Mandela on The Trail 103.3. This afternoon, The Trail Less Traveled is being recorded on the eastern coast of Australia. We are on the Sunshine Coast, about 150 kilometers north of Brisbane. The ocean is nearby. We're sitting in a botanical garden right now. We're surrounded by eucalyptus trees, ferns on the ground, beautiful light that's filtering through the leaves, and the sound of the insects and the birds. And today I'm speaking with Jandamata Chad. Jandamata is a portraiture artist who has been a finalist in every major portrait art prize in Australia and is also in very high demand as an inspirational speaker and ambassador. According to his website, painting has been a way of life that has enabled him to express his creativity and storytelling and in many ways his paintings of the human condition. He seeks to be a peaceful voice for unity. Jandamata uses a variety of styles and mediums. With his unique blend of traditional Aboriginal art techniques, along with his own signature contemporary portraiture. Jandamata, this is a radio series, and the listener can probably hear the birds and the insects and also the airplanes that are taking off overhead. But I was wondering if, as an artist, you could paint the picture for the listener as to where you are sitting right now recording this interview with me. So we're sitting in part of the hinterland of what is known as Caloundra on the Sunshine Coast, which is the east coast of Australia. 
this here I'm looking over at this tree over here like we're sitting in the forest there's beautiful forest but this tree over here this pine tree this small is a bunya pine this little one just over there right there here on the coast here they had a gathering that used to happen and it's been happening for thousands of generations the kabi kabi gubby gubby mob used to have the bunya dreaming and this was a cone that used to come from this tree. And tribal areas had pass-throughs where you could walk through their area. But they used to come from as far as 500 kilometres away in each direction and come and collect and gather here from the nuts that come from that tree. So as I'm looking at that, I'm reminded that you've got these new trees, other trees introduced, but you've still got a lot of these big gum trees here. So we're sitting in here, you know, for me, the wind amongst the leaves beautiful atmosphere of the afternoon but also as you shared the filtering light that comes through on these evenings that glinter through and see the butterflies all of this thing full of life here speaking but then I look at these trees too with all their apartment blocks for all the animals standing around us but this bunya pine that is continuing to grow here beautiful representation I would love to talk to you now about your art You told us earlier about your introduction to the paintbrush and how it has changed your life. But I'd love to talk to you about your process, your use of colour, and use of dots to create form of a person. Okay, so for art, for me, the physical representation, the end product, is a beautiful piece. For me, the main thing is is the journey to get there. The, The connection with the subjects, the connection with their story, the connection with their connection of place connection of their lives for me no matter what I use whether it's color whether it's doing a portrait entirely of dots well I have pioneered something that nobody I've known has ever really ever done that before or whether it's doing hyper realism or whether it's doing it in black and white is trying to invite the viewer into a moment or evoke an emotion I try to invite the viewer to step out of their mind we live in a very highly prized for articulate and, and intellectual society full of concepts. I believe this can stop us from really connecting with ourselves. So what I invite the viewer through, whatever mode it is, is to connect, connect with a feeling. When I use my dot style to create a portrait, In traditional Aboriginal art, they will often use dots or certain line work in a typographical perspective. So they're almost standing on top of a mountain or overhang and looking out upon the landscape. This is done to map the landscape, to understand their connection, connection to the plant, the animals, or the ancestor spirits, or whatever they wish to share within that, or whatever they are guided to share within that story. For me, living in a, in a contemporary lifestyle, a lot of my art is a contemporary makeup of using traditional elements, but in a modern way. But as I say, to evoke feeling, to guide people to connect with it intimately, beyond their mind and their biases and their prejudices and their often moments of ignorance that come through that, about what they believe these things are that I'm providing them to look at or to share so with the dot style when I create a whole portrait whether it's of Uncle Archie Uncle Bob Randall Uncle Jack Charles or I've done one of Bianca and Marley local Kabi Kabi people here it's to show 
landscape so again it's that typical perspective of landscape but what I've done is created them in a form that is exactly representational of their features their face a look a certain emotion that is portrayed and what I'm trying to show I mentioned earlier about that fish and water what I'm trying to show is that their connection to country is not something that is part of their identity is not something that is separate over there it is the fundamental of who they are so in that those dots forming their facial features or their expression or their form as a whole is showing poignantly their connection to country so that if somebody sees that they can see that in a very poignant way and they can feel it too because not only does it stimulate that understanding it also in a beautiful colorful emotive way uh, gets someone to feel that connection because often it's a very aesthetically appealing image i believe visual art just like music if you think of a piece of music that can move you to your spirit it can move you to either tears it can move you to cry it can move you to jump up and yell out it reaches in beyond your mind and it reaches into your spirit and it touches something deep inside that is primal a primal expression of who we are a fundamental aspect of interwoven into the fabric of who we are if you can use art in that way it becomes much more than something you sell much more than something aesthetically appealing to look at it becomes an invitation an invitation to connect with ourselves through that truth that universal truth so a lot of my art is designed often I'll use very vibrant colors in ways to create a portrait because I think that color invites us to feel over just thinking about a piece but often I'll do pieces of mob in colour because it plays on that aspect of, yeah, they're coloured people. They're vibrantly beautiful, full of richness and colour. So often I'll have a moment or a scene that I'll capture within a painting and I'll use whatever elements, whether it's black and white, hyperrealism, colour, dots or lines or abstract or whatever to invite the viewer beyond the image into what's going on behind that image deeper messages and that might include also ochre ochre is a natural rock or soft rock or hard rock at times that occurs here in the landscape often we've got our red yellow and white ochre with varying you know uh, raw sienna burnt sienna colors within that ochre is often used to paint up in ceremony and this was part of different ochre, different expressions. You know, certain displacements uh, you shared earlier that we've got an immense amount of different tribal areas here. In Australia, there's over 500 different tribal areas, different dialects, different totems, different language groups, you know, different kinship laws. I can't speak for every Aboriginal person in that diversity because everything has such a different meaning. But most of all of us have used ochre in different ways to express our connection in ceremony some with lines some with dots and the placement of those dots and lines or markings are inherently connected as with totems as with the specific stories to that specific area i've used red desert dirt from the center of australia in my paintings of uncle bob randall who took me to a place where he was stolen away 
at the age of six years old. And I collected some of that dirt with permission and put it on the painting that was titled Sorry. I'll use whatever means possible it is to invite the viewer to delve into something that is deeper than the surface of what that visual representation looks like to the eyes. That is the voice of Jandamata Chad. He is an artist based here on the Sunshine Coast of Australia, and we're recording the show in a beautiful forest not that far from the ocean. Jandamata, I'd love it if you could tell us more about the indigenous Aboriginal Australian art that predates European colonization. A lot of Aboriginal art, as I said, from my awareness and what I've shared from elders or what I've gathered, it was primarily about connection their connection to the ancestor spirits. And as I say, that varies all over Australia. Some use line work, some use dot work, some use certain symbols that relate to their country. There's no real universal. I mean, there are some that, you know, overlap in certain ways, but there is no real, this is this symbol and it means the same for every different area. But essentially all of those symbols, all of those markings, all of those dots, all of that line work, were all about connection. They're all about identity, I should say, which is connection. When you connect with another human being and you, you lose sight of the illusion of where they begin and you end, or you connect with that sunset, you're so in that moment connected with that sunset, you're no longer looking at a sunset, you are one with it you start to realize that we are all connected in this web of interconnection. The dreaming itself, I can't talk a lot about that, but the dreaming aspects of itself and the parameters of it were that we are all one. We all originate. We all come from this source. And in the dreaming, everything is interconnected. Everyone and everything is as one in many different expressions. Within that, a lot of the dreaming stories, a lot of the dreaming messages that are shared are invitations to look beyond just what is being shared in those words or those animals. They are an invitation to something that is that essential truth of us all as, as, as sentient beings or, or as life. A lot of the paintings that were done traditional way were sharing that connection when you live your life, you can live in your head and you can think, I'm this person, I have this job, I have this name, I go to that school. But if you take it right back to a feeling, you take it back to your deepest core feeling, beyond all these labels and all these things that you've experienced, in that feeling is the feeling that connects and unites us all in a unified way. That feeling is the essence of the dreaming. Aboriginal people, highly articulate, very intelligent, but a lot of their life was about intuitive living, intuitive connection. They used to go by song lines. They used to go by their connection to the stars. They used to go by the field of energy through the planet. They would understand the way that the animals will move through their intuition people use this term gut feeling and it can be very much impoverished because of that you think oh yeah i just feel it in my gut but it is a it is an entire being feeling and knowing you can understand in knowledge you understand and you obtain and you gain but in wisdom in intuitive wisdom you know there is a knowing 
there is a knowing that you don't hurt that person because you are hurting yourself. You don't damage that land. That knowing is getting veiled over that wisdom. But in those paintings is an invitation to that knowing, is an invitation to the truth of who we all are in traditional way from what I've known and understood. Beautiful. Jandamara, my last question for you is, what can the West learn from the way that Indigenous Aboriginal Australians lived with the land and animals for hundreds of thousands of years from the beginning of time? I think they can learn that sustainability emotionally, mentally, physically and spiritually. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not saying it needs to be this way or look this a spirituality. What that is, nobody can define for you. It is an inner knowing. It's coming back to that knowing. First Nation mobs here, Indigenous Australians, Aboriginal people, their culture offers as the oldest living continuous culture in the world what they offer or what they continually still put their hand out to come and share and walk with them proper way is to come back to this truth that if we keep heading in this direction of digging bigger holes of taking from our future generation taking from our children and our children's children and so forth what we are doing is going against that we are committing crimes against our own selves. Here's this rama rama. Aboriginal people offer a way that is a balance. Yes, yes, I understand we all can't just go back to living in the bush. The natural environment has been changed. And a lot of it has been damaged. But there needs to be a balance. I see it like this thing. If you look on TV here in Australia, or if you look on billboards in magazines and most books, you've got the European person leading the Aboriginal person. There needs to be a, an awareness brought back that the Aboriginal person holds value, holds these wisdoms. That isn't just about living and having an economic base, having and obtaining things, but it is about an understanding about how to live in sustainability, how to have a deeper connection with place, how to be a true custodian. You can live in a place for generations and have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so forth. But to true live as a custodian comes with responsibility. If you're not living with responsibility, you're not having true connection because what you're doing is you're living and residing in a place, but you're not having that relationship of understanding that you are to protect and support and enrich and enhance that place for many generations to come. And I think Aboriginal people guide, have a wisdom and a knowledge and an intimate relationship with things developed over those thousands of generations to come back to that inherent value of what that actually holds for all of us, not only Aboriginal people, because if you look at a sunset, it's not only our First Nation mobs that see that sunset. Everyone sees that sunset. So I feel that that balance can come back, that balance of bringing that homeostasis between living and obtaining and having a house and, you know, moving in a certain linear direction, but also coming back to that spiral, that spiral of self, of understanding that we are part of something greater. We are part of something bigger than just me and mine and more of we and ours. 
Beautiful. That is the voice of John Damata Chad. He is an artist based here on the Sunshine Coast of Eastern Australia. John Damata, thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here today in the forest to record the trail less traveled. You're very welcome. Very honored. And thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's end your show with three bits of advice that you can share with the listener. So number one, live authentically. Our truth is to be who we are implicably, which means without excuses, we don't need to make excuses to other people of why we are the way we are. We are perfectly designed. We need to find our unique expression and express that to the fullest. Live our truth, live our life authentically and grow with that because once we grow with that we nurture it as a seed it grows into a bush it grows into a tree it grows into an entire forest that then empowers others to do the same number two understand that we are part of something greater in that not some uh, intellectual concept that makes us feel like we are I don't know better or more able than others but I think part of something greater means that We all have a sense of purpose. We all have a sense of relativity to the world around us. We all have a sense of wholesome foundation that is built on a web that when we walk with these trees, when we walk with that ocean, when we walk with these animals, we are tall, we are strong, we are proud. We walk with a sense of wholeness. So for me, finding, I feel all of us finding that deeper purpose of why we live our lives as opposed to going to school getting a job obtaining all this stuff having a bank account going on a holiday here and there and then laying on our deathbed at some time which is inevitable going wow all that stuff I have it's it's been great but what has it really given me what is my purpose in life number three I think is respectful acceptance of everyone and a natural state of empathy that comes from that. If you think of it when we have a car crash or there's a cyclone or, you know, in America, a hurricane or a flood or some natural disaster that happens, when that happens, we don't run in the other direction. Often many of us will risk our lives or people have risked their lives to help support or help another. They don't go, well, what's your colour? Or what's your religion? Or you're a woman whatever the story is or your sexual orientation is different than mine I don't think I'll help people will often forego that I think what it reminds us at our core level that we are all connected we are all one and the same and that natural empathy opens up for us to understand I think once we open up that natural empathy to know that other people live different ways and we might not understand that but acceptance of those different ways it enriches and it also allows us to live our lives purely as well. So I think number three for me is that acceptance of others and the natural empathy that comes from that. Jandamata, what song would you like to end your show with? The last song I have is from Dr. G and it was it's called I Was Born Blind. Dr. G was born blind. He sings in language, he sings in English and they come together. His voice, his music... It is like heaven and earth together have come together in celebration. That song brings tears to my eyes because this man 
living in a Western world, but living so strong in his culture, he has now passed away, would sing. He would share that he would sing his totem. He would sing it. When he sings his totem, he's not singing about it. When he sings his song, he's singing himself. Yes, it's the lyrics, it's the words, it's the tempo, it's the rhythm, but there is a whole spiritual happening in between those words. You'll see when you hear it. Beautiful. Namaste Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the world. Please subscribe to the free podcast wherever you gather podcasts, and consider visiting traillesstraveled.net to see pictures, archive previous episodes, and contact me. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, John Namara Kad. John Namara is a Yorta Yorta Janjavarong descendant and is an inspirational man with many stories to tell. With his vibrant and expressive portraitures, Jandamara's artwork is emotive and insightful, and is a powerful medium to bridge the storytelling divide between Aboriginal and mainstream Australia. Painting has been a way of life that has enabled him to express his creativity and storytelling, and in many of his paintings of the human condition, he seeks to be a peaceful voice for unity. Jandamata uses a variety of styles and mediums. With his unique blend of traditional Aboriginal art techniques, along with his own signature contemporary portraiture. Jandamata has not only been a finalist in every major portrait art prize in Australia, but is also in very high demand as an inspirational speaker and ambassador. My name's Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for this show is to take you the listener back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week, I'll be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world, in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural habitat. 
Tonight's episode was recorded in a eucalyptus forest on the eastern coast of Australia. The Trail Less Traveled is a community source for adventure information and inspiration every Sunday night at 6. My adventure tip this week comes from Caloundra, Australia. Hi, my name is Regan Gordon. We're in Caloundra, Australia. I'm an artist, adventurer and adrenaline seeker. And my tip is always bear in mind the geographical features of the places that you travel in as sometimes these particular features will be the indication of how to realign your position or recalibrate your bearings. Well, that's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, please do something for Mother Earth and get outside. Shred the gnar, because as you know, the gnar does not shred itself. <laughs>